Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Never get tired of hearing stories about lives that are changed by Christ, yes? That is a resurrection story. Michael has the story for the reason we're here this weekend, that Jesus resurrects things that have died. He restores things that are lost. He reconciles things that have been separated. He rebuilds what is broken in all of our lives. I don't know what you think of when you think of Easter weekend. For a lot of people, it's really nothing more than a family tradition. So here's the family tradition. Growing up in my house on Easter, we would jump out of bed almost like Christmas morning. It wasn't quite Christmas morning, but we'd run to the kitchen, we'd find our Easter baskets, and miraculously somehow there was candy in the Easter baskets, and we start going through our treasures of chocolate Easter bunnies and Easter eggs, and it was an exciting morning. It wasn't quite Christmas, like the JV of Christmas. That's kind of how I looked at it. It wasn't Christmas, but it was second best, kind of holdover till Christmas, no presents, but you know, candy that just goes on and on and on. But then I would remember, oh no, I have to go to church too. Not only did I have to go to church on Easter, but I had to dress up. I mean, I had to put on a tie. And for those that thought they'd never see Pastor Phil in a tie, here's your chance. Your one and only opportunity, Okay. So it was like, uh, it's awesome, candy, Easter, oh, we got to go to church and I got to dress up. I don't know why you're here this week. And for some of us, honestly, it's a family tradition. For others, it's nothing more than a religious tradition, just kind of going through the motions. For some of us here, honestly, we just wanted to keep our wife from breathing down her neck. Yeah, I know you're here. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. All right, don't, don't want to stir up mother-in-law, go to church this weekend. Not mad at you, but listen carefully. There's so much more about Easter than some people can imagine. And church, honestly, for me, going through the last three or four weeks in my life, it's caused me great introspection. So I buried my mother four years ago, and I buried my dad four weeks ago. My mother four years ago, my dad four weeks ago. And so just going through what I have recently, it's given me pause for introspection, honestly. Why are we here this weekend? And it's probably more serious than you can imagine. In fact, it has the power to affect your destination. And when death hits close to home, and one day it will for all of us, there's no exemptions, there's no exceptions. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. When it hits close to home, you process it in ways I wasn't prepared for. Like, I've had questions that have entered my mind the last few weeks that have not entered my mind for many, many, many years. Questions like, well, do we really have any hope? And I just thank you for the way you have loved on my family and pastored me personally, the cards and the prayers and the kindness. You know, I've heard people say things that I have said before, like, well, Pastor Phil, you can take comfort in the fact you're gonna see your dad again someday. And church, I'm just being honest with you. I've had these questions enter my mind like, am I really? Do I know that for sure? I mean, how do we know there's a heaven? How do we know this isn't something we just made up to comfort ourselves? I've had those kinds of questions. 
Just being honest with you today. And you know what? In John chapter 11, Jesus gives us an object lesson to answer finally and forever those questions. John chapter 11. He's going to give his followers an object lesson that he is the resurrection and the life, that he has power over life and death, and he has the power to make things alive that had once died. He's just a week from going to the cross. He's seven days away from being crucified, and he's about to bring a man out of the grave because he's about to go into the grave, John chapter 11 and verse 1. If you're ready for this, say, happy resurrection. Okay, that's pretty good. We'll get going. All right, John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now you need to know this family lived in Bethany. It was a suburb of Jerusalem. And Jesus would often hang out with this family. Like by now he had thousands of followers, but he had only a, true, a few true friends. And Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus was among them. He was kind of a best friends with Lazarus. They were in his inner circle. And so you can imagine what this was like for Jesus. He gets word that one of his best friends on earth is now sick to the point of death, this man by the name of Lazarus. When Jesus heard that, he said... This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that, he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, it's amazing to me. Think about this. He gets word that Lazarus is sick to the point of death. He says he loved Lazarus. He loves Mary and Martha. They're in his personal friendship, like his inner circle, almost like family, yet he waits two more days to respond. We think right now Jesus would come running as fast as he could to heal Lazarus because he'd healed other people. It would make sense that he does, but he doesn't. He purposely delays. Have you ever thought to yourself, God, where are you? God, are you even there? Don't you care? Do you understand what's happening here? Jesus can see what they can't see because he sees everything from eternity. We see things only from one dimension known as time, but God knows things we don't know. And Jesus knows what they don't know. He's going to use this moment as an object lesson that will forever change their lives and all of ours as well. He purposely delays to make sure that everybody knows Lazarus has really died. He's dead. In fact, this is what he says two days later in John eleven fourteen. 14. Then Jesus said to them, his disciples, Lazarus is dead. Now he's going to make his move. Finally, Jesus, finally, now that he's dead, where were you? And I want you to see that this is in the Bible. It is in the gospel account specifically because Lazarus is a picture of you and me. You see, the reality is we all need a resurrection because this is our condition, dead. God sees us apart from Christ as dead. We're not alive, but we're dead. Look at somebody right now and say, you're dead. Go ahead. Now look back at them and say, yeah, well, you're closer than I am. You see, the reality, some of us are thinking, Pastor Phil, you're crazy, you're nuts. I mean, I clearly am alive. Take your own pulse. Some of you need to take your pulse. Wake up. Yeah, okay, I'm alive, I have a pulse. 
But you need to recognize something. God sees you as more than flesh and blood. He sees the eternal you, not the temporal you. And while you may be alive physically, God says you're dead spiritually. You see, it says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. It's death spiritually, death eternally. Yes, one day you will die physically under the curse of sin, but that is not the end. You see, there's eternal death or eternal life. And the reality is we learn in Romans 5 and verse 12, that as by one man's sin, that was Adam, death entered the world, so death passed on all men and all women for all have sinned. You see, Jesus taught through the pen of the apostle Paul that we were in Adam when he sinned. God told Adam, don't eat of that tree. Genesis chapter three, and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And because we were in him, we all died with him. You see, we're dead spiritually, though we're alive physically. That means we're all like Lazarus in desperate need of a resurrection because death is our truest position. It is our real condition. And this is why it says in Ephesians 2, 1, you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, apart from Jesus making you alive, when you come to him and put your faith in him, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Now, what is the difference between trespasses and sins? Look at it this way. Trespasses are the things you've done. Sin is something you are. See, we do what we do because we is what we is. See, we're not sinners simply because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Do I need to say that again? In other words, we have this sinful nature within. We got it from Adam, Romans 5 and verse 12. And because we're born with this sinful nature, even when we know what is right, it's still easy to do what is wrong. Yes? Oh, there's a few perfect people in here, I can tell. But some of us, not everybody, I'm sure, some of us, even when we know what is right, it's so easy to do what is wrong. The Bible calls that sin. Now listen, we're dead because of our sin that lives within, and we're dead because of our trespasses. Those are the actions that have lived without. And because God is holy, he is sinless, he cannot let even one sin into heaven. This is why good people don't go to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. Now, I am certain today that in this place and all over the city and all of our other campuses and right there online in our church houses. Our church is full of good people. Y'all some good people. Well, not everybody, but most of you. Now, here's the reality. This is what I want you to see. Jesus said, no one is good except for God. You know why? Because compared to God, no one is good. And good is not the standard of heaven. Perfection is the standard of heaven. And there's not one among us that have lived a sinlessly perfect, flawless life. No, it says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. So consequently, there's not one among us that is not dead in trespasses and sin. And Romans 6, 23, says the wages of sin is death because God is holy and sinless. He had to assess a penalty for there to be justice. Look at it this way. We have laws that have to do with the traffic code. And there are policemen to enforce those laws. Recently, I was driving home. It was nighttime, driving home from Lee Summit out to my neighborhood south of Lone Jack. And if you live out near Lone Jack in my neighborhood, you know that our Lone Jack Police Department does a really, really, really good job of enforcing the traffic codes. Yes? 
it's kind of well known in that area, like when you hit Lone Jack City limits, you had better bring her down. Slow down. You know, normally it's eight, you're fine, nine, you're mine. I was a cop. I know the unwritten code, okay? But no, 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 not, not there. You better bring her down and be going 65 miles an hour because our police department does a phenomenal job of enforcing the traffic codes. They're on it. They do a really, really good job. So I've been trained over time. I've been reformed, if you want to look at it this way. I've had a reformation, put it on cruise control. When you contribute personal money to municipalities all over the city, eventually you hit cruise control. So on this particular night, it's on cruise control. I'm not speeding, but I look in the rearview mirror. There they are. There's the lights. I'm going, what did I do? I know I'm not speeding. I had it on cruise control. I pull over. I'm on the ramp from 50 Highway going up to Lone Jack, and a young lady gets out. Uh, officer's very kind, very professional. Sir, I pulled you over because you failed to signal when you changed lanes. That was not my reaction at the time. No, I didn't show my reaction at the time. I was thinking it, poker face. That was kind of my reaction, like seriously? So I'm sitting on the side of the road, and she's back running my name and wants and warrants and all that thing that goes on in the police car, which I know what goes on in the police car. And uh, all of a sudden, I get a knock on the window, driver's side window. Another officer is knocking on my window. I roll down the window. It's a Blue Springs officer. He says, Pastor Phil, I've never met you. I go to the Blue Springs campus. I just came by. <laughs> you talk about embarrassing. First time I meet a member of my own church. I'm pulled over on the side of the road. He heard her running my name, Philip Hopper. No wants or warrants. Oh, I'll go meet Pastor Phil. Okay, here. Now, here's the good news of all that. Not only did I get to meet another member of our church over at Blue Springs campus, but they didn't write me a ticket. Yes. Now, here's what I want you to see. I broke the law. No matter how minor it might seem to a holy God, every sin is a major, not a minor. When you're holy and sinless, not even one sin can enter into heaven. I was guilty, I failed to signal, I deserved the penalty, but they did not write the penalty. What they did was show me mercy, and do you understand that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary? The sinless one died for the sinful ones. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2,000 years ago, the sinless son of God came like the sons of men to take all of our sin so that we could be forgiven and become like him. And it's what Jesus called being born again. He showed us mercy on Calvary and that he withheld our penalty and he took that penalty in our place. The wrath of a holy God was poured out upon the sinless son of God. And when you receive him by faith, he forgives your sin. It's what Jesus called being born again. John 3 and verse 3 says it twice. John 3 and verse 3, John 3 and verse 7. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the question 
question of the day is, have you been born again? You see, you're alive physically, but apart from Jesus, you're dead spiritually, which is why Jesus was teaching you need a second birth. The first birth was a physical birth, but you need a second birth, a spiritual birth. The moment you receive the Son of God, the Spirit of God comes to give life to your spirit that has died. You see, we all need a resurrection, not just physically, but spiritually. And I'm telling you this this morning because there's only one kind of Christian. It's what Jesus called a born-again Christian. See, we get hung up on all things that are made of man. Do you understand denominations, church affiliation, personal religious tradition? That is all made of men. There's only one kind of Christian, regardless of your denomination, church tradition, religious affiliation. It does not matter if you're a Catholic, a Baptist, a Lutheran, Presbyterian. We get hung up on all these names and titles and tags. But in the end, all that will matter is have you been born again? Have you put your faith in him? It is the only kind of Christian. I once asked somebody, hey, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I'm a good Lutheran. I said, that's not what I asked you. Somebody here thinks, well, I'm Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. <laughs> no, you'll just be dead. <laughs> and it will not matter that you were a Baptist. To the question today is, have you been born again? Have you received new life? You're dead spiritually apart from him. But the moment you put your faith in him and ask Jesus to forgive your sin, he gives life now to the spirit inside of you that was once dead. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Have you been born again? Have you put your faith in him? Jesus now responds finally knowing that Lazarus is dead. Verse 21, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever thought something like that? God, why? Why did you allow my mother to die? Why did you allow me to lose my job? You could have changed that. You have power over that. Why did you allow my marriage to die? God, why? This is what Martha is now asking Jesus. Where were you? But remember, he can always see what we can't see. That means he knows things we don't know. Martha said, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The scripture teaches that when Jesus returns, there's going to be a physical resurrection of all those that have died in Christ. The graves will be open, and we will get a resurrected body that will be incorruptible, that will never grow old, never get sick, or never die. That happens on the last day. But that's not the day Jesus was talking about. Her brother's going to rise on this day. But Martha doesn't know that yet. Look what Jesus says. He makes this bold claim. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. I want you to notice, Jesus didn't say those that believe about me. He said those that believe in me. And there is a difference between believing about Jesus and trusting in Jesus. You see, you believe about him, that's mere religion. But when you trust in him, that is called redemption. 
And for a lot of us that were raised in church, went through the catechism, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, oh, we know all the answers biblically. We know the Bible stories. We know about God. We've heard about Jesus. We know about him. The question is, have you ever personally trusted in him? One is merely history, but the other is salvation. For you personally, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked her the most important question anyone has to answer. Because this question will define your destination. Jesus says to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, this is the question that Jesus now asks every single person. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to forgive your sin? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to resurrect your life? Do you believe he has the power over life and death? Now, some of us aren't sure. That's okay. I've told you, even Pastor Phil, after 22 years of preaching, even I have been very introspective recently. Do we really have hope of heaven? Do we really have hope of a resurrection? Or is this just something made up in our imagination to comfort ourselves in times of loss? And Jesus is about to give us an object lesson that will forever answer that question. He says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. And that is the beginning of life. This is the public profession. This is the verbal declaration, her mouth confession. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. You see, the moment you profess Christ, all of a sudden, he gives you new life. And this is this public confession. It's Romans 10, 9, and 10. Puts it this way. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. Now, what does that mean, Christ? It means anointed one. It means a title. How could Mary and Martha be so certain that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, the anointed one? Because there's only one man in history that fulfilled all the ancient Hebrew prophecies about the coming one, God's son, the anointed one, who would be both humanity and deity that would die on a cross called Calvary to take away sin's penalty. And Jesus is the one. He's the only one. We can prove historically this one man fulfilled all these prophecies literally. People think, well, maybe he just lucked into it. No, there's a difference between a prediction and a prophecy. See, predictions are made on mathematical statistical probabilities. So I was watching with my son the NCAA national title game of the University of Kansas versus North Carolina Tar Heels. Did you guys hear recently? Yeah, okay. And as we're watching this game, he has an app on his phone. It's an algorithm. And in real time, as the game is going on, in real time, it's giving the statistical probabilities of each team's chances of winning. Incredible. 
It's built on mathematical probabilities in real time. There's 4.1 seconds left in the game. Kansas is up by three. I look at my son, I say, what does the app say? He says, Dad, we got a 98% chance of winning. We did. We did. Happy national championship. Some of you are going, oh, this is making me sick. I got to go. You just ruined my Easter. Here, here's what I want you to see. That's just mathematical probability statistics. Prophecies are different. Prophecies defy mathematical odds. It could not have been done statistically, randomly. Jesus couldn't have just gotten lucky. It had to be done providentially, supernaturally. He could prove that he is the one. And that is why she's able to confess, Jesus is Lord. You are the one, the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming to the world. You see, resurrection comes through your heart's submission and your mouth's confession that Jesus is Lord. It's not built on a list of things you do for God. That is religion. It's built only on what God has done for you. That is redemption. And that's what Jesus has done. He took all of your sin. He did it in your place. He took your penalty. Have you received him? Have you called on his name? Have you been born again? Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And one of the most powerful, profound verses in the Bible is right here. It says, Jesus wept. Do you know that God weeps over our sadness? He weeps over our suffering. You want to see the heart of God? Look no farther than the Son of God. He sees the devastating consequences of sin upon creation. And the Son of God weeps knowing ahead of time there was about to be a resurrection. See, death was never meant to be part of the human existence. We live in this parenthesis called time that's under the curse of sin. So eventually it comes for all men and all women. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Here is a man that has power even over that which has died to command it to come to life. He calls Lazarus by name. And today Jesus is calling some of us by name to come out of that cave of darkness and death into light and life. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden Lazarus comes out. He's bound. He's wrapped up like a mummy. I mean, just imagine the picture. He, he, he can hardly walk. And Jesus is like, hey, do the normal thing and unwrap him. 
And do you understand that's exactly what Jesus does in our lives? He has the power to set you free from the grave clothes of sin, dejection, depression. He is able to take a man's life like Michael and unwind him from that bondage that bound him and set him free. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the hope that I have today is that one day, this same Jesus that said, Lazarus, come forth, is the same Jesus one day that will say, Judy Hopper, come forth. Van Hopper, come forth. And that body that is laid in the grave will one day come out incorruptible that was once corruption, imperishable that was once perishable. But before there can be a resurrection physically, there's got to be a resurrection spiritually. Have you been born again? Church, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I've had a real time of introspection. I've been around death all of my life. As a cop, I was around dead bodies all the time. As a pastor, I had preached what feels like hundreds of funerals. None of them easy, some of them really hard. But what do you do when death hits close to home? And one day it will for us all. For me, I found myself asking questions that I thought I answered years and years ago. And I'm thankful for the way you've ministered to my family as I've tried to minister to yours for many years. I, you know, I've heard people say things like, well, Phil, you've got your memories. You can take comfort in your memories. And honestly, for me, there's no comfort in the memories. Because our hope is in the future, it's never in the past. And memories are just a reminder of what you've lost. And others have said, and I've said the same thing, well, the comfort is in the someday I'm gonna see my dad again. And I found myself saying, really? Do I know that for sure? How do we know this isn't just something we made up to comfort ourselves? How do we know any of this is really true? I can't prove there's a heaven. And you know what I did? I went back and I did the same thing again that I did 25 years ago. I examined the evidence of the resurrection. And it led me once again to an empty tomb. And if the resurrection is true, everything else is too. And there is no other way to explain the disciples changed lives than what they saw with their own eyes.
They saw Jesus die, and then they saw him alive. Peter's just one example. Peter's the one that made the brash boast. Jesus, when everybody else runs away, I'm gonna stay. And Peter is the first one to duck and run. Three times he denied even knowing the Lord. He was so scared for his life. He was so scared that he was going to be next, tortured to death. He hid for his life. He ran for his life. Within just a few days, he was boldly, publicly proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. And before he would die, he would be nailed to a cross upside down. He didn't have to die. All he had to do was say, guys, I was kidding. I was just messing around. It was a joke, but he didn't. He wouldn't recant. How do you go from hiding for your life to be willing to give your life? You've heard of Thomas the Doubter? Thomas was the rational one in the group. The others had seen Jesus after the resurrection. You remember Thomas is the one that said, hey, God, man, guys, I am not drinking the Kool-Aid. You guys are crazy. Like, I, I don't believe this. Until I can personally reach my hand into his side where the spear went through his side, until I can personally touch the nail prints in his hands, I'm not going to believe. But you know what happens? Jesus appears to him too. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. We know what happened to Thomas. He took the gospel to India where he died a martyr at the hands of a pagan priest, thrust through with a spear. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to die. If the resurrection was a lie, he would have known it was a lie. No one knowingly dies for a lie, but they knew it was the truth because of what they saw with their eyes. James, the brother of Jesus, initially he didn't believe. I mean, imagine how unbelievable this is. Your brother claims to be God. Yeah, right. Really? Something convinced James, my brother is the Messiah. He saw him die, but he saw with his own eyes Jesus alive, and and he would be stoned to death. He didn't have to die. The evidence leads to an empty tomb. And that is why today, even after all the questions that I process and all the introspection, I can confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in him, though he may die, yet shall he live. And I'm begging you today, don't delay. If, if God gives you the chance today, he doesn't guarantee another day. He doesn't guarantee another chance. Today is the day. Today is the day. Life or death. God has given you a chance. And if you don't believe, it's because you won't believe. It's not because you can't believe. Follow the evidence wherever it leads. It leads to an empty tomb. 
I'm going to pray right now a prayer wherever you're sitting, wherever you're listening, another campus in this city, church house somewhere in our world today, right in your living room. If you're not certain today of where you would be or what you would see, if you open your eyes in eternity, today is the day of salvation. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I want you to pray with me right now. God will hear your prayer. He'll forgive your sin. Pray this with me. Jesus, I confess that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you are the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in you, though he may die, yet shall he live. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I want to be born again. Make me a member of your kingdom. Thank you for redefining my destination. Life instead of death. That you chose to go into the grave so that I could come out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.